I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Okay, so I've sobered up, but there's still some blackouts. And um... I worked in hymens and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later. Having a good time, baby, having a good time, baby. We're having a real good time. We're having a good time, baby, having a good time. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay. I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host and producer, Hannah Hogan. Hey, Dusty. Welcome. We have gotten a little video out. We got our very first video out on YouTube from the podcast, um, and I think the response was great, um, and I'm excited to do it. I don't know that we'll ever put full episodes on the internet but we are now filming them all, and what I'd like to do is begin to put little clips out. I also put clips, uh, a little clip on TikTok. So if you are on TikTok, uh, go ahead and follow me on there, uh, at Dusty Slay. And I'm going to begin to do more of that. It's very exciting. Uh, and I'm also going to get a second camera so that we can film Hannah so that she can be seen and not just hurt. Mm, thank you. Wasn't that what they... They used to say about women, though, uh, seen, not heard. Yeah, from the greatest generation. My grandma used to always say that. Yeah, be seen, not heard. So we are so progressive that we are letting her be heard and not seen. I actually am against it um, because I'm going to have to, like, wear makeup and actually, like, prepare myself every time we do this if it's going to go on the net. Well, I mean, we don't have to. But I think what we should do is set up a second camera. That way, if we, we there is a funny moment and a fun moment, we can throw you in. Or maybe I could just do one of those things where I po put a picture of you. <laughs> yeah, just like a scarecrow of me. <laughs> yeah, and you could say voice of. <laughs> uh, I love that. But I like how when we, and I don't mind, but I like how when we started this, the goal was like, you weren't going to say a lot and you were just going to, you were going to be there really for me to play off of. And uh, you just came right back in as a full on co host. Well, that's, I don't want that. I feel like it's just happened. Well, it has happened naturally, and that's fine. I actually was saying in my head before this episode began, don't talk a lot. Oh, were you? I, I say that to myself pretty much everywhere I go and everyone I talk to. Because well, I talk the, a lot. The thing is, is we're on Spectricide, I believe, part four now. Uh, selling pesticides, part four. Spectricide was the company that I worked for. So when I say Spectricide, that's what I mean. Actually, the company had many names. It was owned by the Rayovac company. It was a branch of Rayovac. And then under Rayovac was the name United Industries. And then under United Industries was all of our different brands. We had Spectricide, we had Cutter, we had Hot Shot, and we had some organic brands. And at one point, we had Stay Green Fertilizer, Vigoro Fertilizer, as well as Soils. And we also had Peters. Peters was a, uh, a brand of fertilizer as well that I really liked, actually. It was a kind of a miracle grow type thing. 
And I'm not exactly sure if that's how it works. It was always very confusing. But that's what we're on now. You won't know a lot about 2010. But let's talk about a little something before we jump right into that. Uh, Maybe we could do some kind of advice to comics today, depending on how long the podcast goes. Maybe we could do, um, let's talk about, we got, oh, oh, here's, here's something big. Uh, last week, I had a long rant about dogs and cats and things like that and how, and then the cat that was here persisted in coming back. It would come back every day and it would just stand outside of our back door as if, as if it were ours. And we, I was like, what are you doing? I've, I've sprayed the hose at you. I've thrown you off the porch politely but I've thrown you off the porch. I've carried it. I even fed it away from the house near the neighbor's house. I did what I thought was a pretty stealthy thing where I went, the cat was at the back door. I went out the front door, snuck around the side of the house, and then popped up with the food at the neighbor's house, hoping to fool the cat into eating over there. And uh, here we are. Uh, This is a Monday, but as of yesterday, I... Regret to, regret to inform everyone that I am now the owner of a new cat. Me and Hannah have a cat, an indoor cat now. I spent $75 on a litter box, <laughs> litter, food, a food bowl, a couple of toys. That may be it. Jeez, it went quick. That money went quick. Yeah, well, the Lord put it on our heart. So buy some hats for my store. I need it now. I have a I have a dependent. Yep. And his name's Gypsy. And I've been calling him Gypsy for about a week now because he's a gypsy cat. He just comes in and out. And we call Gypsy seems like a girl name, but we called him Gypsy before we even knew girl or guy. Yeah. We didn't really know. But so that's that. I, I, I own a cat now. A cat roams my house. I had an animal-free house, and now I have a cat in here. And I'll be honest with you, I don't mind him. I like him all right. Yeah. He, he, seem, like, he seems so appreciative that we've let him in the house. He's been in the house one night now, and it was a good night. He didn't trash anything. He didn't wreck the, We didn't let him in our bedroom, so he doesn't sleep with us. But, you know... Each step, I'm like, I don't even want him in the yard. And then I'm like, I don't want him on the porch. And then I'm like, I don't want him in the house. And he's in here now. You had such a volatile reaction last Sunday when it first came on our porch. You were like, no, no, I don't want this cat in here. And then a full 360 a week later. I don't like a stray cat, but the cat was here for so long in the backyard that it almost became not stray anymore and immediately it used the cat litter we feel as though the cat was abandoned by its family and but it had been a little housebroken i don't know i don't know how it works but the cat's ours now mm-hmm. and it's in here and i i feel good about it hannah's very happy with the cat it makes hannah happy to have a cat in here yeah you should see her smiling and laughing with the cat yeah, so I'm okay with it. So, Thank you, Dusty. Yeah, so let's do this. Before we get into the Spectre side thing, let's talk about some, let's do an advice to comics sec- section. Let's see what some topics I've wrote down. Um, uh, what about this? Being nice to the audience. 
this is a topic, this is something that bothers me. I was, when people aren't nice to the audience, and there's several things I mean by this, but I'm going to talk one thing. I went to see a guy, I, I met a comic in New York one time at a, at a club, and I really liked the guy. And I happened to be in Springfield, Missouri when he was performing, and I was like, you know what? He let me do a guest spot, and I went to watch him. I, I was like, I, I enjoyed the short set I had seen from him in New York, and I thought, I'd like to see a longer set. And he was very funny. I enjoyed his set. I enjoyed him as a person, and I enjoyed his set. And he gave me a gummy bear. And I um, uh, was watching him, and this lady started to yell out at him. Very rude. She was being fun. She was clearly like a mom or a mom age, probably didn't get out a lot, maybe even was her first comedy show. And she yelled out at him a bit, and then he went after her, and he attacked her, and it was fun and funny, and we all had a good laugh at it. The lady was a good sport about it. But then he would not let it go. He continued to go after the woman over and over and over again to the point where the lady was now quiet, but he kept going after her. And I left the room because I do not like that. I, I think that's too far. If someone heckles you, in my opinion, by all means, throw a couple of jokes at them, hit them with it, hit them with it. And then, but when they be quiet, I like to say, let it be. You know what I mean? Like the person yells, they learn a lesson, and then you move on. But I just feel like it, at some point, you can almost alienate yourself on stage or ruin comedy for that one person. And there's so many people. I remember waiting tables. We used to say something like this. If you can't afford a tip, don't go out to a restaurant. And then if it's like the same people say about comedy clubs. It's like, well, if you can't come in here and not heckle, then don't come, right? And, and, and I've said those things, and I agree with them to an extent, both of them. But we need patrons. We need people to come to restaurants, and we need people to come to comedy clubs. And I like a comedy club that makes the audience be quiet. There's a lot of them, and it's wonderful to see. I've, had some, I've been in some clubs recently where someone will yell out at me. I'll make a little joke about them. It'll be fun. Everybody's laughing. We're all having a good time. And then I'll see somebody from security come over to that table and tell them to be quiet. And then it's over. And it's like we've all had a good time. That person, they're not in trouble, but they've been asked to be quiet. So that's one way I mean by being nice to an audience. Another way is when people come out and the audience is real small and they go, we could have did this in my hotel room. What are we doing out here? You know, and they go on and on about how small the audience is. It's like, hey, the audience is small, but the people who are there did come to see you. So try your best to give them a show without letting them know how small the audience is. I mean, believe me, I have done some shows where there's, you know, 10, 12 people in the audience. I've done shows for less people. It's never fun to see. But I've had a lot of fun with small audiences because I just go out and I just get into it. And I'm like, you got to work harder because the laughs die off quicker. But sometimes you can really form a bond with a small audience and it could be a lot of fun. Um, but when you just harass the audience about their size, they're not having fun. Mm -hmm. And then another way that I mean is if you come out and the audience is not really laughing at your jokes. Like I, like I think a couple of things about that. One it could just be a stupid audience. I mean, let's be honest. They do exist. Uh, two, it could be that they don't enjoy your comedy. Maybe that audience is not stupid, and maybe you're hilarious. 
but that audience just doesn't get your comedy. That happens. That's okay. Or uh, you're not funny. That's also an option. You could just not be funny. So, and, and in none of those scenarios, should you like trash the audience for not liking your jokes? Because this is what's going to happen. Uh, in my opinion, this is what's going to happen. If you're doing somebody else's show, they're going to be like, well, I don't want that guy on my show. He just trashed my show the whole time, trashed the club, trashed the audience. I don't want that on my show. So you're going to lose that booking. And if there are also other people that book that on that show that also book shows, they're not going to want you on their show. And it's just going to hurt you. Now, as I always say, you don't have to follow any of these rules. You do whatever you want to do. But this is just the things that I've, I've uh, noticed I mean, as a comic, I'm very observational. I look at everything. I love to look at things. I love to see what people are up to. I have what you might call a staring problem, right? If I were in elementary school, they would say, you got a staring problem? You got a looking problem? And I would, my response now would be like, yes, I do. That's because I like to take things in. I like to see what's happening with people, right? I want to know what's up with them. I want to know what's up with you know, I walk into houses and buildings and things like that, and I'm looking around. I want to I wanna know what's going on in there. I like to take it in. And I think when you're in a club, it's okay to make fun of a couple of things, you know. Uh, my friend Chris Killian used to have this joke that he would do, and he, we, we would do a lot of comedy zones. And these comedy zones would oftentimes be set up in uh, hotel bars or conference rooms and stuff like that. And he, would, he said, oh, I like... Uh, oh wait, all right, I gotta make sure I remember his joke. Uh, he said, "I like the I like the setup here. It's like the people here at the Holiday Inn go, let's do some comedy. What's our budget?" And then he would look around at stuff, and the audience would always love it. And I think that's fun. I think that's okay. But if you come in, you're like this piece of shit place. It's like, you know, maybe take it easy. People are trying. You know, a lot of times they're trying. Sometimes they're not. And I just think that when you come in, and I I see it a lot with uh northern comedians in southern rooms uh where it's like i think that northern comics in northern rooms i think the northern audiences can be a little more used to uh, a bit of aggressiveness and stuff like that and they 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 enjoy it not that not that the people are any different but they could just be used to it whereas a southern crowd is in the audience and then we're so like People make fun of the South so much that when somebody from a different place comes into the South and starts trashing the room or the people, it, I think it, they take it personal. And I think, and I, you know, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't, but it's just going to hurt you trying to perform. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the same thing like Canada has an inferiority complex with America in general. So when American comedians would come to Toronto or whatever, and then they would like make they can make jokes about Canada, but it, it, it they couldn't be insulting, right? And I, I I definitely felt the same thing when like New York or LA comics would come down here and just just the stuff that they'd say, like even just little kind of energy stuff. Um, to, like average uh, Southern audiences definitely uh, don't respond well to that. Right. So I think, you know, and this is, I don't know if this is just it, it, advice at all, or if it's just things that I've observed and things that I think about, you know, it's like, um, people like to be poked fun of a little bit, but I think nowadays people are a little more sensitive to things. And I just think it's something to be aware of. Again, who knows if we'll ever be able to go out and do comedy again. 
I in 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 May and and June when I got to go out and do comedy, I would make I would make this joke. I would say, you know, I'm just happy to be here. I thought we'd never do comedy again, <laughs> right? And it was a real relief to me that we were out doing comedy again. And now uh, we're uh, um, maybe not doing it again. I don't know. I went to the farmer's market. I got a little upset. I, uh, I was, what happened, Dusty? Well, I was at the farmer's market. You know, we all had our mask on. Uh, I had a little crew of people. We all had our mask on, right? Because you have to. And um, I had it down around my chin. It was looped around my ears, but it was down around my chin. We were outside in a farmer's market. And this cop comes up to me and he goes, hey, you got to put your mask on. So I put it on over my mouth. And then he goes, you got to put it above your nose too. And it's like, I know this cop's doing his job. I'm not mad at him. But I was really upset about the situation. And I almost stormed out of the farmer's market. Hannah kept me around, but I didn't buy anything. And it just, it just makes me upset. Like, I'm outside. Like, none of the mass stuff makes any sense to me. Like, meaning that, you know, it's like, everybody's like, wear it, wear it, wear it, wear it. And then you're like, you know, like, Fauci threw a real bad pitch at the opening day of MLB. I don't know if you saw that. Terrible. Worst pitch i ever seen. And, uh, and then he was in the stands, sitting right next to two other people, no mask on, you know? And I'm just like, if the main scientist that's now telling us to wear masks is pretty comfortable, like, not wearing it, um, I don't know. But then I also, I understand a little bit, right? Like, if, if, if it's traveling around in droplets in your mouth and you could spit on people. I spit sometimes when I talk. I get it. So that could hit people. But I'm never spraying things out of my nose. So that's what I don't get. I mean, it's like I, I really do have a difficult time breathing uh, in, through the mask. So I like to just keep it right below the nose so I can just breathe through my nose. And then it still keeps droplets from coming out. But the guy, I mean, I'm, but I'm like, stuff's never flying out of my nose. I'm not going to say never. I've had a dry booger here and there come out. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm not taking any stance on it. But I'm just saying. I'm just tired of it, and uh, so... I'm tired of it, too, Dusty. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to make political stances. I'm not trying to be a scientist. I'm not trying to tell you that you can do it, you cannot do it, whatever. But I don't like being told that I have to do it uh, because I'm an American and I'm used to freedom. Uh, but I understand if there's a virus going... I mean, this is what, what frustrates me, I think, most, is in April, no, in March... When this thing was real, like everybody was like real serious about it, me and Hannah were like gloves, mask, and then we found out gloves were a bad idea, so we stopped wearing those, but we were gloves, mask, everywhere we went. I was in the grocery store. We were like two of the only people in the grocery store with masks We were on. mask pioneers. I mean, we were masked up. I mean, I yelled at a lady that worked at Lowe's one day for telling me I was too close to another woman, and I was standing on my line, the line they put for social distancing. The lady in front of me was standing too close to me, and I was the only person in that line, including the people that worked at the store. I was the only person in a mask. I only had one glove on because I had ripped the other, but I had one glove and a mask, and I was standing on my line. So I've been doing this stuff. I've been putting in the work. And I feel like we made it through that. And now I'm being told that I got to cover my nose too. And I see lots of tweets about people making fun of people. They're like, oh, 
Like I saw one tweet, they were like, "Oh, I see. Pe- I bet people think they're real cool with their nose uncovered, but all I see is a small penis." And I'm like, "I just want to breathe." <laughs> I mean, that, what that, hilarious <laughs> female comedian <laughs> tweeted that? I won't say, but I, um, I just want to be able to breathe. That's all. I'm having a. I don't go out a lot. I'm not touching people. I've stopped handshakes. Well, mostly, and. Um, I'll say this. I was so scared because my brother lives in China and he's been telling me about this since January. And I am a fearful person. Uh, I get scared a lot. I have bad anxiety. I was very afraid March, April, and halfway through May. And then, I mean, maybe it's because I live in a red state. (laughs) But the fears just left me. I don't think it has anything to do with the state that you live in. But but I mean, but I think it has to do with who you're talking to. Um, if you're around people that are really like uh, hyped up on the CDC and the mask and the protocols and the science, well, you're gonna be I don't in know. that kind of state of fear. But I don't I'm, know. I just hate when it's put like that because I don't want freedom to be a political thing, right? right? So I just think that's weird when people are like. Oh, you're a Republican if you don't want to wear a mask. It's like, I just want to be free. Like, I just want to, I I miss people's facial expressions. I miss, like, when I go to talk to somebody in a store and we're both wearing masks, I just miss facial expressions. That's all. I mean, I miss that. I miss smiling at each other. When I worked at Hyman's way back, uh, we had a Russian girl named Elena that came to work there. And she was very Russian, very pretty, never smiled, right? And she said, we asked what, what things really stuck out to her about being an American. She said, two things that she really noticed is how fat everyone was and how much everyone smiled. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's sad that there's less smiles. Right. That's all. But. The fear left Hannah, as she's saying. And and I, what I wanted to say about that was you can't fake the funk. If you're scared and you need to be wearing a mask all the time and you're wearing a mask walking down the street, it's like I get that. That's where you're at with it. But I also can't pretend like I feel threatened. I, I don't feel threatened. I'm but, fine. But, I, I, I'm just not afraid. I also can get – I get the understanding. I mean, I'm well-versed in stuff. I get the understanding – that, you know, the mask is not to protect you. It's to protect you from spreading the virus. I understand that. But I don't think that I'm spreading a virus through my nose. There is no droplets coming out of my nose. That's the only thing. I just want to breathe. If we're going to wear masks from now on, because no one has said how long it will be. (laughs) They've just said wear the mask. So who knows how long we'll wear it. Um... I just want to breathe. Amen. All right. So that's that. And that's our advice to comics and our rant on wearing a mask. Oh, wrong button. Okay. Thank you for the claps. Now, like NPR, we'll move into the next segment. Did you like that? Yeah. You can sponsor us at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Bill and Melinda Gates. That's what NPR does.
I saw a conspiracy video that said Bill and Melinda Gates died in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, maybe you could tell we don't wear masks. <laughs> I did see a video on that. They said they died in 2008, and those are clones. I've been seeing a lot of clone talk. Lately. I don't know if that's a podcast <laughs> anecdote, Dusty. Well, no, it's not an anecdote. It's 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 conspiracy. We used to talk conspiracies. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, 2010, selling pesticides. 2010. This is a new season. And feel free to ask questions throughout, Hannah, because you add to it. But don't confuse me. Don't ask those kind of questions. This is a new season, new new employees. I got new people working for me. This is uh, 2010. 2008, I had a sales meeting where I went to the strip club with a guy, and we got we got wild, and, and then uh, 2009, the company changed. There was no sales meeting. 2010 is our first sales meeting back. It's in Orlando, Florida. I'm living in Charleston, and I'm going to fly there, and it will be my first plane ride ever. My first plane ride ever to um, to Orlando, Florida. First plane ride ever. All right, so I go down to Florida. I get I I, I fly from Charleston, and then we connect somewhere, and I end up sitting next to a guy that I'm working with uh, on the plane from wherever we connected. I think Atlanta to Orlando, and. Uh, the meeting was fun because I got to meet a lot of my new people. We had our, our new people that were in my on my team who I had not met before, and uh, Stan was there, and it was all. And then Jason, my old boss, he was also there. And then me and a bunch of guys went to a strip club in Orlando, and uh, uh, I got wasted. And uh, I was making a joke with people on the van ride, and I was pretty wasted. But I was making a joke about because we just got bonus checks, and I, I kept making this joke with them on the on the bus ride. I was like, I was like, talking about private dances or whatever. We didn't get any, but I was talking about them. And I go, I just got me a check. I'll spend some money. I got me a check. So they they voice recorded me on the phone saying, I got me a check. And they played that crap. They played it for years. I mean, it was like, geez, guys, years they'll play that. And uh, I bet Jason still has it. And then we went to, uh, you know, like Disney World. We went to, we got one one day to go to Disney World and we got to choose one park. And we went to, um, I think, Magic Kingdom because they had all these different countries set up. And we were, our plan was to have beers all around the world. And it was not that fun. I mean, it was, Disney World was not fun. I didn't know you could drink at Disney. I think you can, yeah, you can. I mean, we had beers, but it was expensive, and then I almost got attacked by some pigeons. Like, I gave one some bread, and then it was like, it was like, they were like, give me that bread, and it was like, it felt like a real attack. And so, uh, so we did that, and, and it was a pretty good start to the year, though. I'm, I'm on decent terms with Stan. We had, we had a little fun. I got to see some of my, my friends that I'd, I'd gotten to see a couple of times, and it was a good time. And then I got new employees. In Savannah, I had a guy named named Chaz working for me. And he was a friend of someone in the company. And he was about my age. We had a good time. He got me into conspiracies, to be honest with me. He, he started 
telling me about some stuff. And I liked him a lot. The first day I went down to train Chaz, I had two days in Savannah. So the first day I went, I worked with him. We went and had uh, some chicken at a gas station that he told me was really good. And then we worked all day. And then I, w- I went to my hotel that night. And then the next day we were going to continue the training. But I went to, I think it was a Longhorn Steakhouse, and I ordered a steak medium rare. And that thing came out real, real rare. But at the time, I was big into a rare steak. It didn't bother me. I was like, I love this. I had, you know, I had a per diem each night I would stay out of town. I get a little money to spend. So I would spend, you know, they would give me, say, 50 bucks. But you couldn't hold on to any of it you couldn't be like i'm gonna spend 25 on dinner they wouldn't even let you spend some on lunch and some on dinner like you had to do it all at one time so i would go to a place and i would get a steak i would get a dessert i would get a couple of beers and i would try to fill that 50 bucks and then i went back to my hotel that night and i felt pretty good and uh slept and i woke up the next day and i was very sick I had food poisoning, and I destroyed that hotel room. I hate. I would hate to have been the maid the next day. I mean, it was a nightmare. And I, <laughs> oh, whoa. And I, uh, I, I mean. It's weird how you, it's the whole room, not just the bathroom. Well, it's just like stuff is coming out, and you're like, it comes out <laughs> unexpectedly, and you're like trying to recover. And I ended up not being able to help Chaz that day. So I spent that whole day in the hotel room. Stan was upset with me. and But Chaz was a good employee, and he really, you know, he knew what to do. He learned that one day, and it, and it was fine. Uh, but it was, I don't know if it was the gas station chicken or if it was the rare steak, but I, I'll tell you this. I still eat gas station chicken once in a while, but I won't eat a, a rare steak anymore I, I like my steak medium now but and 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 a lot to do with that and also a video i watched one time on meat glue where they take little chunks of meat add a little glue in wrap it up put it in the freezer overnight the next day it looks like a filet mignon i don't know if it's true they could do some video manipulation i don't know but they just said be careful ordering medium rare or me ordering rare steaks because that stuff might have been exposed to outside air So, I don't know. Meat glue freaked me out. So, I I don't eat a medium rare steak. People will make fun of me now. They go, I go medium, and they're like, oh, medium, like I'm not from the country or something, or like I'm not a man, and I'm like, listen, I'm just trying to live. And then I had Rich came back in Myrtle Beach. He was back working. And then in Charleston, I got two employees this year. I got my buddy, uh, let's just say Tom. I got my buddy Tom to come work for me, and he was a friend. We had known each other for a while. He did a little comedy, and uh, so, and he will come up. He will be a, a reoccurring character here, and um, uh, and then, um, and then there was a guy named Mike, and Mike came to work for me in Charleston, and Mike I liked a lot, but Mike was a family friend of Stan, and Stan was my boss, and I couldn't tell. And Mike was so nice. Mike was Asian, and he looked almost just like Tiger Woods. People used to say he was Tiger Woods all the time. And, um, but I couldn't, Mike I liked a lot. He came out to some comedy shows. We hung out a little bit. But I never would tell Mike certain things. And when Mike was at the store, I wouldn't clock in and go sit in the car and smoke cigarettes. You know what I mean? Which is what I would do oftentimes. Because, 
in the wintertime, there's nothing to do. So I would go to a store, I would clock in, and I would go sit in the car and smoke cigarettes. You know what I mean? And But I was drinking heavy. I mean, I had begun, I had a, my hair used to be, I had uh, the hair design that I had was like a bowl cut kind of, you know, the swoosh. Justin Bieber. Yeah, the old Justin Bieber look. That's exactly what I had. In fact, one of my jokes used to be, uh, I look like Justin Bieber after his career's over. And people would really laugh. They love that joke. Mm. And uh, Interesting. <laughs> but it covered my forehead completely. And I started to get uh, a little bit of acne on my head. It, it started to be bumps. I was seeing a girl at the time, and she... Uh, I remember going to her house and we go, we went out to the backyard and I pulled my hair back and I just laid in the sun hoping to kind of dry that out, which I realize now is a mistake. I don't think you should do that. Uh, but, um, and I, I was, uh, I was living, I had moved from James Island to downtown. I remember that because I remember just putting on stuff. I put on all kind of things. Oh, this is what it was. This is what happened. One time, Stan had come to visit me. We were up in Myrtle Beach. We were working stores. And I had this huge zit that had popped up on my right temple. And I remember Stan was on a conference call. I went into the bathroom, and I popped this zit, right? And I was like, great. It's huge. I was like, great. And I cleaned it up, you know, meaning wiped some tissue over it. And then I didn't connect this at the time, but these zits started to pop up. And they would not go away. And eventually they just kind of grew together. And my half of my forehead was red and puffy and was just full of white, uh, white heads. And I just kept it covered up with my, ha my hair, you know. And a couple of people had said to me, one time I was walking, going to Theater 99, and my hair blew up. And, and they could see my, my friends were like, dude, what's wrong with your forehead? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's fine. And then we went on about it. We were all drinking. It didn't matter. And then one day I was sitting, uh, this is when it had gotten really bad. I was sitting at a Chick-fil-A in Goose Creek with Tom and, and I moved my hair to the side and he's like, dude, what's wrong with your forehead? And I was like, I don't know, man, this popped up and I don't know what it is. I can't get it to go away. He's like, he's like, I've been seeing it, but he said, I thought it was a birthmark. He was like, I thought that's why you had your hair like that because you were like covering up a birthmark that you had. And so I ended up calling um, a doctor. How long did you let it go like that? For? I don't know. Several months. Really? Yeah. It had gotten real bad. What was your girl saying about it? Well, I think we ha were done seeing each other by that point. Gee, I wonder why she left. Well, she didn't leave, but, uh, Ooh, okay, Dustin. all right. And, yeah, okay. uh, it was a short run. Um, you know, I can't get into the details of that with my wife on the podcast, but all right. back to the acne. <laughs> okay. And, uh, so, um, we, um, um, you know, me and Tom were in there and he, he said, you got to go to the doctor, man. So I called a dermatologist and they were like, we can't get you in. We can get you in, uh, in a month. And I was like, okay. So I called a doctor, well, not a walk-in clinic. I don't know why I didn't just go to a walk-in clinic, but I called a real doctor. Not that a walk-in clinic doctor is not a real doctor, but you know what I mean? And they were like, we can't see you. And I was like, listen, I got something going on with my forehead. I need to see a doctor. I was like, you can't deny seeing me. And they were like, listen, we can let you see the doctor's assistant, but we don't have time for the doctor to see you. And I was like, perfect. So I went in, 
And the doctor's assistant, she came in there and she goes, okay. She had her little clipboard and she, she was very nice. She had her little clipboard and she goes, all right. So I understand you got something going on with your forehead. And I said, yeah. And then I pulled my hair back off my forehead. She looked at it and she goes, okay, let me go get the doctor. Right. I wasn't even supposed to see the doctor, but one look at my forehead and she was like, all right, we'll get the doctor. So the doctor comes in and he looks at it and he goes, he's like, geez. And uh, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, all right, we'll get you an appointment with the dermatologist. So that day I was in the dermatologist office and no one ever really told me what it was. I think it was a staph infection, but no one ever really told me what it was. I'm not sure they knew. I had a little bump on my arm where I still have a scar from the bump on my arm. And I had a Band-Aid over it. And the dermatologist goes, what's that? And he pulled it up and he could see, he's like, yeah, that's part of it too. And he took a little skin graft and they sent it off and they gave me some medicine and it went away. But then shortly after the medicine ran out, it started to come back. So yes. they gave me a different medicine and the different medicine broke my arms out. I had bumps all over my arms, little red bumps all over my arms. And they said, okay, you're having an allergic reaction to that. So they gave me a cream to put on the arm to get that to go away. And then they put me back on the original medicine. And I ended up taking several, um, several doses of this before it eventually went away and didn't come back. And, oh, and I, I was drinking so bad and eating so bad at the time. Uh, I asked them, would it have anything to do with what I'm eating? And they said, ah, oh, nah. And I, I believe that it did. But this is also what I think. I used to push my hair out of my head with my hand. So my hair would get down kind of in my eyes and I would push it off. But I was working with uh, pesticides and dust. And there was always a lot of rats in Home Depot and Lowe's. Not all of them, but some of them. And I just think that I was touching all that stuff. And then I'd get sweaty and I'd push it out. And I think all that stuff got into my pores. And my head, real. I mean, it was bad. I mean, I still got a little scarring on the temple where it had gotten so bad in that area. You have light scarring on your forehead. Though. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, But that's why... Uh, after, after that incident, I started slicking my hair back and, 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 um, <laughs> Evan calls it my Rachel Maddow face and, uh, my friend Evan Burke. And, um, but I just used to slick my hair back because I was like, I never want hair on my forehead again. And I didn't, I didn't understand. I actually, the haircut that I ended up having from, you know, 2000, 11 through 2014 until I really let my hair grow out. I really liked, I enjoyed that haircut, but I didn't understand hairstyles. I had never known, no one ever taught me about a hairstyle. I didn't, and I didn't do any, I didn't put any effort into learning one on my own. So when I finally did this hairstyle, I loved it. That's how I met Hannah's with this slick back hairstyle. She tells me now that she hated it, but, um, what so but that slick back and then and then kind of letting the grease go out of it was how I ended up having a haircut and a nice part basically how I have right now without the length and uh thank you Tom uh for showing me that because I showing me uh, the way the error of my ways with my forehead breakout because I ended up getting it cleared out um I met I had start I had my upper deck open mic was going strong and sometime during this time, before or after the um, uh, before or after the uh, rash, I met a girl 
we'll call her Mandy. Uh, that's not her name, but we'll call her that. I met a girl named Mandy in um, the upper deck one night at my open mic. Now, I was talking to my friend. Uh, I don't know if he would like me to mention it, but I'm going to. I was talking to my friend, Connor Larson. And Connor is about 10 years younger than me. Maybe, yeah, I think about 10 years younger than me. And we got to talking, and I realized that, that Connor has never known a time in the dating world where he didn't have some sort of dating app. It just... I mean, I'm not saying he's never met a woman in real life without, without Tinder, but it's always been available to him. And we had a bit of a conversation about, like, what did you do before a dating app? And I'm like, well, you just, you just had to go up to women and talk to them. You just had to take a chance and go talk to them. And that's what I did. At this time, my confidence was not real high because I had been dating Erica, who, who I talked about on the last podcast. And uh, it was a major part of the last podcast. You weren't here for it. And we dated. She was part of the competition. You know, I've told you about her before. But, uh, and so now I met Mandy in a bar, and I went up to her and talked to her. Um, and she was just visiting and was about to move away. But I ended up talking to her, and we went out one time before she moved away, and then we stayed in touch with either. This will come up in 2011. This will be the next one. But we stayed in touch with each other via Facebook, and she had moved to France, and we kind of were pen pals, um, and um, for you know for about a year, and that'll be a 2011 podcast. Um, but but I had um, let's see. Oh. Did you have a romantic feeling about her? I did have a romantic feeling about her. Hmm. I had a romantic feeling about Erica, who who was uh, the the uh, the my love interest of two thousand nine, and 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 uh, just to recap for people because this is going to be the next phase of the Erica saga, and there's there's three phases. This will be the second phase. Uh, she told me that she was dating, she was living with her ex-boyfriend, that they were broken up, but, but she was stuck in a lease with him. And so at the end of her job, our relationship ended, and I didn't know what happened to her. The relationship ended, and, and we were done. And then all of a sudden, one day, she's working at the James Island Lowe's. She's got a job now at the Lowe's, and I'm so excited to see her. And, uh, but... This little tidbit, she's now, her ex-boyfriend is now her fiancé. Whoa. They're engaged to be married. Whoa. So, now, my trips to James Allen Lowe's, I would be excited to see her, but it also would always make me sad. So, I'm dealing with a lot. So, when I met Mandy in a bar, really cheered me up. I was like, all right, this is exciting. Now, I got some, some love stuff going. Now, not that, now, when I look back on my past, during those times, I always think, uh, I was always so pitiful. My, I had a roommate named Adam Epstein, and he uh, was my first roommate when I moved to Charleston, aside from Joey. And he told me, one day I was watching Grease on TV and he goes, that's your problem right there, man. You're watching all this women stuff. He's like, you just gotta, you gotta man up. Like, right. So I was always emotional. I was raised by women. I was an emotional person. And so I look back and I think, oh, I'm so pitiful. I got no dates. Women don't want to date me, but I was dating women all the time. 
I learned so much uh, about myself. But so that's it. So now every time I went to the James Allen Lowe's, I would see Erica. And I moved from James Allen to downtown during this time. And I was hosting a lot of trivia. I started hosting trivia in 2010, a connection from Erica. Her friend's boyfriend was a trivia host. And his name was Warren. And he got me into hosting trivia. And the Mount Pleasant uh, Mellow Mushroom was my first gig, I think. It may have been somewhere else. It was my first gig hosting trivia. I was drinking a lot. I was doing shows at Theater 99. I was hosting an open mic at the Upper Deck and having a blast at the open mic at the Tin Roof, hosted by my buddy, uh, Jason Gross. We had all the comics in the scene. We're doing the Upper Deck. They were doing the Tin Roof. Tin Roof was once a month. Upper Deck was once a week. And then we had um, some various shows. We had a show called This Is Chucktown that we were doing at Theater 99. So at best, I'd say, uh, well, at worst, I was doing six shows a month. So when I tell people I've been doing comedy since 2008, it's important to keep in mind that I was barely doing comedy. Now, now when I go do comedy, I'll go to, let's say I go to the Dallas Improv, and at a normal time, I'll do one show Thursday, two Friday, two Saturday, and one Sunday, and I'll do an hour each show. So I'll do six hours of comedy in a weekend. Back then, I bet I was doing, at best, an hour of comedy in a month. But honestly, I was probably doing a half hour of comedy in a month. So it would take me, what would that, half hour a month? That'd be 12 months. It would take me a year to get as much stage time as I'm doing now in a weekend. So that's how much better you, that's why I always push for people to be road comics. I always want people to be road comics because if you're out working the road, then you're getting tons of stage time. Even as a, even as a feature, I'm doing, let's say I'm doing, you know, six shows a weekend, I'm doing 30 minutes a show, that's still three hours. That's six months worth of comedy I was doing before. So just to retrack, this is what's going on in your life in 2010? Yes. You got a weird rash. Yes. You're drinking a lot. Yes. You're eating too much. Yes. You caught up with women. Yes. And you're starting to get really into comedy. Yes. There's a lot going on, Dusty. My comedy is really improving. Uh, in 2009, I got third place in the Charleston stand-up comedy competition. But in 2010, I didn't even make it out of the first round, I think. Very inauspicious beginnings. I, I was doing well, but I didn't make it out of the first round. Ooh, this will be, I, I believe, now this was, this might have been 2010, where, where my friend Johnny T, who I'd mentioned from the, he was the uh, guy from Boston that moved down, and he was in a band, and another guy that worked at the apartment complex I was living in on James Allen was also in a band. This is going to be a longer podcast, I think. And they were, they were both in bands. And, um, and I, my friend Johnny, Johnny B was like, hey, get as much stage time as you can. Try to open for your friend's bands. Do whatever. He said, you need stage time. That's what you got to do. Get stage time. So... I, and I don't know if Johnny T listens to my podcast. I don't want to embarrass him. He's my friend. I like him. But I, this was an embarrassing thing he did to me. So he deserves this. And he asked me to go, I asked him, could I open for him? So what was going to happen was 
Johnny T was opening for my friend Justin's band at the Poor House in James Allen, which I've done many shows at. I love the Poor House. Um, but at the time, I had probably never done a show there. So the place made me nervous. It's a big music venue. A lot of people go there. A lot of people have played there. So it made me nervous. So Johnny T, what his band was going to play, and then I was going to do comedy while they broke down and got ready for Justin's band. So Johnny T pulls me to the side, and he says, all right, listen, do the, I want you to do this. He said, when I get done playing, I want you to go out, and I want you to say, hey, you know, give it up for whatever his band's name was. That was, that was really good, huh? And he's like, I want you to get the audience to clap. And, and then he says, I want you to go, how about an encore? Can we get one more song from Johnny T? How about an encore? And... And then he's like, I want you to get, you know, get the audience saying encore, encore. And then I'll come out and play another song. And I was like, oh, geez, I just want to do some comedy. And so I go out after Johnny T. His band did, his band was good, but they did okay. And I went out and I said that. The audience barely clapped. And then I said, how about, how about another song? How about an encore? And you could see on the faces of the people that no one wanted another song. But I was like, encore, encore. And, and I turned to look, and Johnny T was coming out with his guitar when the person on, on the mic, what they would call the God mic, I don't care for that term, but people know what I mean. And he said, uh, yeah, that's not really how this works here. We got to get the stage broken down, and we got to get the next band ready. And I'll go, okay, all right, well, I'll just tell some jokes. So I start telling my jokes, and he goes, yeah, that's not really how that works either. He's like, we need to break down all the equipment. So highly embarrassing for me. So I had to come down, and then Justin, who was my friend, he said, once they get it broke down and they get set up for me, I'll introduce you and you can come do some comedy. So I was like, okay, good, great. So then Justin comes back up, and then he brings me up, and I'm going to do 10 minutes. And then I basically bomb for 10 minutes. I mean, Mike, it's already been so awkward. And then I'm doing this weird story that I wrote. And I basically bombed for 10 minutes. And it just was so embarrassing. But you know what? The advice that I was given to get stage time, even in this embarrassing moment, was helpful to me. Yeah, no one said stage time was going to feel good. And I also, now in 2010, I'm just going to keep rolling through some things. In 2010, my friend Kelly was getting married. Now, Kelly lived in Charleston, and I think it was probably 2006, 2007 when we were all big friends. Me and her and Mike and, and Will used to hang out a bunch. Me and Mike and Will lived together. Yeah, me and Mike and Will lived together. And in 2006, we went to my friend Joey's wedding in Opelika, and that's where I got really drunk and really uh, embarrassed Joey and his family and his wife and her family. It was just highly embarrassing for everyone except for me and the other people that I knew there that were my age. They knew me, they knew I was a lunatic, and they loved it. Um, and then Kelly and Mike and Will went with me. All right, so this is what happened. I mean, uh, at the time, I was living with uh, Mike, who I worked at Hyman's with, and my friend Will from Opelika. We were all living together on James Island, and um, uh, Kelly also worked at Hyman's, and she was our friend. And she had, you know, she used to party and drink with me and Mike all the time. 
and and Will too. But you know, Will Will didn't always party quite as hard as we did. I don't think. I mean, not at this point. I mean, he was working hard. We were all we were living that uh, food and beverage life, and uh, Will wasn't working at a restaurant. So it's different when you're in that food and beverage life. People know this. People that work food and bev. I mean, you just become an alcoholic doing that. I mean, it is straight up. It is hard not to do. So we're, we're working, and our friend Joey, mine and Will's friend Joey from back home, is getting married. And so we all decide, the four of us, me, Mike, Will, and Kelly, decide we're going to go down there and we're going to party. So we go to Auburn, and I think it's summertime, so school's out, so the bars are pretty empty. But we went to this bar on the corner. I don't, we were downtown Auburn, I don't remember. We went in, none of us had a ton of money. We were all relatively broke, but we had a little money. So we went to this bar and we're like, all right, we got this much money we can spend. And then after that, we got to get out of here. So we went down and we're drinking at this bar. We're having a good time. It's middle of the day. It's probably noon. We're drinking and we start talking to this old man in there. Now he's not old, but he's middle-aged, maybe a little older than middle-aged. And we start talking to him and uh, we're having a good time. This is 2006. We're having a good time. And then this guy goes at the, when he leaves, he says he's there and he's just drinking every beer on tap. There was about 10, 15 taps. And he's like, I'm just having one of every one. And when he leaves, he pays our tab. He paid all our tabs. When we found that out, we go, oh, we didn't, we didn't take it and go, well, that's great. We got out of here without having to pay anything. We're like, oh, we're back to square one. Let's keep drinking. So we kept drinking. And then we ended up going over to a, um, uh, to a Buffalo Wild Wings, sitting outside, having more drinks. My friend Brent came by, uh, and my mom came, uh, some other people. It was foggy, but there were some other people out there, and we just had a blast. And then I was in the wedding. Uh, so I had to go to rehearsal dinner, but I don't know anything about weddings. I don't know what rehearsal dinner means. All I knew was where we were having dinner and that I needed to be there by seven o'clock. So I showed up at six. I showed up a little early and I was like, all right, I feel great. I'm here early. I'll go in. I'll have a beer. It was at the, um, Cafe 123, downtown Opelika. My friend Aaron runs the restaurant. I don't know if he owns it or if he's the chef. I know he's the chef. I don't know if he owns it. It doesn't matter. But I go in there about lit, and I go, I told him, I said, I want a glass of wine, I want a Budweiser, and I want a crab cake, right? Because that's, I don't know why I wanted the wine. I think I felt fancy because I was at a wedding thing. But turns out the rehearsal was at 7, the dinner was at eight. I was actually supposed to be at the church. Um, and uh, I'm just alone, about drunk as you can get. And I think I'm doing great because I'm on time. And then we have our own private room. And my buddy Joey is marrying uh, his wife, his, his now wife, uh, Michelle. We all went to school together. And I know Joey and his mom really well. And then there's a lot of our other friends are there. And I know Michelle well, but I don't know her parents. And for some reason, the seating at the table had me right next to Michelle's mom, who, who apparently is a very nice lady, but pretty reserved and not ready for me to sit next to her. And I'm just sitting next to her. I'm making all these jokes. Joey took me outside twice. And to talk to me, not to yell at me, but to just be like, dude, you got to chill. 
And then the second time he took me outside, they switched Joey's mom with Michelle's mom, and then the rest of the dinner was fine. I'm sure it's highly embarrassing for the entire family, and they wish I would never had been there. But the next day, I'm set to give a speech at Joey's wedding. I'm not the best man, but I, I'm, I, his best man didn't want to give a speech, and, and, I, and I'm more than happy to talk. But Joey pulled me aside, and he goes, all right, listen. He said, you can have two beers. If you have more than two beers, you can't give the speech, <laughs> which is fair. And then I gave a wonderful speech and made everyone ha- – I worked really hard on the speech. I spent time writing it, and it was great, and everyone loved it, and I was friends with everyone. I'm sure Michelle's family, deep down, still dislikes me, but – and then another time, me and Kelly and Mike – and Will, went to Key West to my friend Shane's wedding. Now, this is 2007. Shane's having a wedding in 2000, uh, in Key West, and he's invited us. And these are stories for another time. I won't get too into this one, but we all went down there. We got wasted the whole time. It's a blast. So we had been doing this for years. So now Kelly has moved back to West Virginia, where she's from, and she's marrying, I think, her high school sweetheart. And... Uh, they're having a wedding, and I've been invited. At this time, Will has moved back to Opelika, and I, I don't see much of Mike anymore. So it's me and a, a, a friend of mine that also worked with us at Hyman's named Sarah is driving up. And we go to this wedding. This is 2010. We're now present day 2010. And we go to this wedding. The wedding's great. I get wasted. I have a mustache. I had just shaved everything but the mustache. And Kelly uh, asked me what I shaved the mustache off for the wedding. And so I did. And, uh, but, uh, this is Huntington, West Virginia, uh, and we're downtown drinking and, uh, I don't, I think it's the guy she married has a son, a little kid. And, um, we're at the wedding and the bar says that the kid can't be in the bar. Now the wedding is over. This is all the wedding party. I'm not really in the wedding, but. I've drove a long way, and Kelly has allowed me to come to, well, Kelly probably wants me to be at the wedding party, after-party stuff. We rode in a limo up to a bar with the kid. The bar says the kid can't come. We defy the orders. We say, no, he's staying. And so the, the, the bar called the cops. But when the cops show up, the cops are friends with the people getting married. So they they block off the street out there. People can't get around. We're all talking to the cops. The cops pretend to arrest the groom, and then we all chant HPB, Huntington Police Department, HPD, not HPV, HPD. We're all chanting it. We're chanting it out in the middle of the street. The police department is our friends. It's this weird thing that's gone down, and we're loving it. And Kelly's wedding was a blast. I got wasted the whole time. That's all I ever did was get wasted. I mean, it was a blast. My friend Kenny Vickers also got married in 2010. He got married at uh, uh, some island place. I forget what it's called. Somewhere in Georgia, some very fancy place. Uh Kelly's wedding and, and, and Kenny's wedding were both, both very fancy. And I think Kelly's cousin, I hung out with Kelly's cousin at the wedding, and the bartender would not give us shots. They had an open bar, and he would not give us shots of liquor. He wouldn't give us straight liquor, so we gave him 20 bucks, and then he started hooking it up. And uh, so at Kenny's wedding, it's open bar too, and all my friends, it's like a dang high school reunion down there. Every friend I know is at the wedding. It's a blast. 
We have a party. I mean, Chris Clearman's there. Joey Tomlinson's there. We're all, everybody's drunk. People I haven't seen drunk in years are just drunk down there. We're having a wild time. I get my, I, I got, I, I won't say that. And, uh, and then uh, 2010 was also my 10-year high school reunion. I went there. I was fat. I was sweating. I was just sweating the whole time. I had to go to the bathroom and towel off several times. I wore a neon green shirt to the actual reunion. But the night before the reunion, we went to a place in Opelika called 8th and Rail. And I saw people that you know I hadn't seen in 10 years. And it was a blast. I mean... I, I really bonded with some people. And then at the reunion, the people that I thought would be there weren't there. And the people that I never thought would be there were there. And I felt like we all really bonded. I mean, I had a great time. People that I knew in high school but wasn't necessarily friends with uh, was there. And we had, a one, we had a great time. I mean, I loved it. I, I, and, and this year is my 20-year reunion. And uh, we're not going to get to do it, I don't think. And that makes me pretty sad. I probably wasn't going to be able to go anyway because I think it was on a weekend I was working. But it makes me sad. I mean, I had a blast in high school. I mean, I mean, let's be clear. When high school was over, I couldn't have been happier. I never want to go to school again. I did community college for two days, and I didn't want to sit in a classroom anymore. I just couldn't do it. I hate it. I hate school. But I loved seeing people, socializing with people, hanging out with people. And I looked forward to seeing those people again. And, uh, I mean, I love the people I went to school with. There were people I had problems with, but I had problems with them because I was stupid, because I was a kid and I didn't know anything. I mean, I, I said mean things to people. I did mean things to people. I felt like people, you know, and I wasn't a bully, but I, uh, what I thought I was doing was trying to tear down the big, the big guy, you know, people that I perceived as the untouchables. I thought it would bring me some kind of joy to make them feel sad, and it didn't. But overall, I had great relationships with people in high school, and I miss seeing them. And I, I, I would like to have done the reunion this year, and it's, it's sad that it's not happening. Uh, also in 2010, I um, started a, a comedy group with my friends Jason Gross and Tim Heckle, and then Mark Schlatka was our sound guy, and we wanted him to be the sound guy. Mark always felt slighted by the idea that we had him be the sound guy, and not be on stage, but we specifically chose him because we liked, we wanted a little banter back and forth, and we thought he was great at that. And me and Jay, what the the theme of the show, it was called Strictly Business. So what we would do, we'd usually be given a 30-minute time slot to do our comedy. We wouldn't be given an hour and a half. We'd have 30 minutes. So what we would do is each of us would come out, and we would do five minutes of stand-up. And then after that, we would come out, and for the next 15 minutes, we would get a word from the audience, and on the spot, each of us would make a joke about the word. And what was great about it was me and Jason and Tim all had such unique perspectives, that, and we were all really funny, that the show would be great. And as long as you could be funny in that first five minutes— it didn't matter how bad your joke bombed that you made up on the spot because it's like the audience now enjoyed it because they've seen how funny you can be, and now they're seeing you fail, and they love that. Um, and that was a lot of fun. That was a really fun show. And then Tim moved. Mark took Tim's place. And then we did it a couple of times, but it never was the same. I mean, Mark, Mark was very funny, still is very funny. And it wasn't about Mark. It was just the dynamic that I felt like the four of us had that was really good. And 
once Tim left, it, it, it failed. Um, uh, but that's, that's going to be the whole thing. I mean, there is more to come from Erica, more to come from Mandy. Uh, and Tom, who I've mentioned, I, you know what, maybe I'll just say, his uh, T-Mike was what we called him. T-Mike was his name, and uh, there's more to come with T-Mike in 2011. But 2010, uh, at the end of 10, 2010, I, some of these things were a little foggy. I started a new open mic after, after uh, the upper deck, and that could have started at the end of 2010. But I'm going to save it for 2011. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as Spectracide goes, during 2010, nothing had changed. Nothing had improved. I mean, my relationship with Stan was about the same. I was getting to know more of the people that I worked with because we had talked on the phone because we had long drives. One particular guy, I really became close with him. He, he had the Columbia area, and we had become really good friends, and we would talk a lot on the phone, and we would complain a lot about Stan, and, you know, it was a lot of fun. I, I liked him a lot. We, he was from Mississippi, and we, we were good friends, but I have some more info on him too. And uh, what I did when I, when I, when I met Kenny is I, I would utilize the job. I met Kenny down in Georgia. His, his uh, wedding was in Georgia. And um, I had a store in Hinesville, Georgia, which was very far south. So I was going to go down to, to Kenny's thing on a Friday. So I, I had myself purposely work that Hinesville store as my last store. And then I would drive on down to, uh, to the wedding. And that's how I would kind of manipulate the job the best I could. But that's going to wrap this up. I feel like this was a fun podcast. I really like this. 2010 was a weird year for me. I felt good about myself. I felt accomplished when I went to the 10-year reunion. But I really wanted to go to the 20-year reunion. Not to show people. Not to be like, look at me. But I feel good about myself. I feel good where my career's at. And, and I just want to uh, meet and hang out with people that I went to high school with. So I'm sad that that's happening. If anybody from high school watches my podcast uh, or listens to it, uh, yeah, know that. That I, I did enjoy my time at the, uh, at the old Opelika High School, and I enjoyed hanging out with them. I was an idiot, uh, that's for sure. I mean, here I am 20 years later after high school. I feel wonderful, by the way. And... Gosh, I was an idiot. I was an idiot for a long time. But, you know, the thing that I, that I do enjoy about myself, and I'm not trying to brag on myself, I'm not trying to be anything, but this is a thing that I enjoy about something that I've done in my life, is that I was an idiot for a long time. But I feel like that I've continued to improve. Like, so I always feel like I'm the best I've ever been because I'm always improving. Now, I can look back and go, Oh, gosh, what were you thinking? But I feel like I'm the best I've ever been. Thank you for listening. Keep praying for the country. I don't know if you pray. I'm not trying to preach to you. I will do more religious things, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to space them out. I don't want to talk about religion every time. I mean, I do, but I don't, wanna, I don't want people to tune out. My, 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 my views are ticking up. Since I've been a little more consistent with the podcast, the views are ticking up. Um, so I don't want to bore people about it, but... You know, do keep praying for the country. It doesn't matter what side you're on. It doesn't, none of that matters. It doesn't matter if you're for the mask, against the mask, Republican, Democrat, none of that matters. 
I believe that whether you're Republican, Democrat, whether you're pro-mask or anti-mask, I believe that at your core, you just want the best for America. And I believe that about everyone. I believe whether we think people are, uh, you know, animals and, and, and whatever. Like if you're mad at certain people, like if you're on one side and you're mad at the other people, I believe that even if you're mad at the other people, you still want the best for the country. And I believe that the other people that you're mad at, I believe they still want the best for the country. No matter if you're atheist or, uh, or heavily religious, I believe that you want the best for the country. It's an amazing country that we live in because we got a lot of problems, but people still want to come here because we're the best. I mean, there are problems, but it's still the best here. I mean, this place is the best. I mean, people, you know, will say, well, that's easy for you to say, you know, but I mean, it's the best, man. People want to come here all the time. And I, I don't want to lose what is so good about our country. And I just, I just hope that people will pray for the country. And, and, you know, you don't have, don't pray specifics if you don't want to. Just pray that our country heals and people come together because people are angry right now. People are upset right now. And I think that the quarantine is doing that to a lot of us. I mean, I got mad at people in the farmer's market for telling me to put a mask over my nose. Why? I don't know. But I don't know why other people are so mad either. You know what I mean? We don't know why we're so mad. But, but it's making us mad, and uh, I just hope that you will pray for the country and spend some time praying, you know, and, um, you know, and let's put, put a little more love out there. I mean, love goes a long way. Loving somebody, caring for somebody. If you see a homeless person on the street, give them a couple of bucks. Don't film it, but give them a couple of bucks. Give them some food. Give them something, you know? Uh, you know, because whether we, th- we look at them... I. I was hanging out with somebody, and they were talking about a homeless person. They said, well, I would give them something, but look at them, just smoking that cigarette. If you got money for cigarettes, you got money for food, right? And I get that sentiment. Believe me, I get it. But you can get some cheap cigarettes out there for about two bucks a pack. And if you're hungry, cigarettes always will help suppress hunger pains. And, and if you're addicted to cigarettes, if you're addicted to drugs, if you're addicted to drugs, cigarettes, I think, help. And, you know, uh, I just don't believe that because someone's smoking a cigarette that they're not worthy of money for food. Uh, so spread some love out there. Help people to have a good time. I just want to have a good time. You want to have a good time. We all just want to have a good time. So let's just have a good time together. You know what I mean? And let's hope we get to do comedy again. I've got some shows on the books for August. I'm at Zany's at August 12th. And uh, I hope that show's been moved several times because, you know, we have, we can't do shows in, in Nashville right now. So I hope that that will open up. And uh, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, and um, we're having a good time. 